Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast live from CPAC. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We're talking to legendary cartoonist, friend of the Weekly Standard, Michael Ramirez, here at CPAC. Uh, Michael, welcome. It's great to be here. Great. Fantastic to be here. So this is what I think. I think that a cartoonist slaves over his table, coming up with these brilliant, or in your case, eh, uh, cartoons <laughs> every, you know, every day. But you have so much you want to say. So this is your chance, the Weekly Standard Podcast, a well-informed audience, very familiar with your work. What do you want to say to them? Well, you know, I think this is a time where we need to re- reflect on ourselves and, and uh, think about what, what principles we believe in. And, and uh, you know, I think America is at a crossroads at this point. Uh, there are a lot of things that are very serious with serious consequences that are going to happen. I mean, when you look at the appellate courts, nine out of the 13 appellate courts are run by overwhelmingly progressive majorities. Now that Scalia's gone, Scalia was really the impediment uh, for the sometimes 5-4 conservative majority in the Supreme Court. So you've got big decisions, the chaos in the world, a nuclear Iran, which I think is going to compel uh, its neighbors to, to get in, embroiled in a nuclear arms race. I mean, there are n- uh, nine nuclear nations right now. You've got an additional 13 people that are 13 nations that are pursuing nuclear power because of a nuclear rant. So these decisions are big, and it's time to, to look seriously at politics. And I think about, think about serious candidates and what they really mean. You know, as a political cartoonists, I like to use history as a reflection of, of how to navigate the future. I think we ought to look at all these candidates, see what their past histories are, beyond what their rhetoric is, because anybody can say what you want to hear. But, you know... This nation, because it's at a crossroads, needs to get back to its constitutional roots. Uh, you know, I gave a speech. I give speeches at universities all the time. They don't know who John Locke is. They don't know who Adam Smith is. They couldn't name a founding father, but uh, you know, they can name every every member of the Kardashian family. There's a reason why the Kardashians make 109 million dollars a season. We need to get back to our con- our constitutional uh, foundation and American values, because progressives are smart. I mean, they're patient. They've been laying this road through, uh, you know, propaganda, through education, revising our history, uh, trying to, to make sure that nobody's familiar with their constitutional rights. And the reason being is so that they can strip those rights away. It's like what Madison said, you know, it's, it's not going to be by a violent usurpation. It'll be by the gradual erosion of rights. And I think that's happening today. So as we, as we navigate through this political cycle, you know, for, for me as an editorial, editorial cartoonist, it's, it's fun all the time. It's, it's more like stenography than anything creative. I've got the best gag writers in the world working for me on the campaign trail every single day. I'm just taking notes. So I'd ask you this question thinking I get a Trump joke. Yeah. So I'm kind of disappointed now i got this actual <laughs> serious, thoughtful. I, I, that's, that you're way over my head now with the serious thoughtfulness. No, that's good. I want to ask you, that's, I, uh, I've been writing columns for a long time and it never amazes, cease to amaze me. You'll, I'll spend a lot of time, dig up a lot of detail and craft this artful take on whatever, you know, uh, school choice or the electability of a candidate. And I get like two responses. Then I'll throw something off because I'm on deadline about how my dad is at that age. We can take a nap. Anywhere, with no prompting whatsoever, <laughs> and I'll get 5,300. I, I love yeah, that. For right? me, that like started that. at 18. You know, I started from 18, and it's continued every <laughs> single day since. Does it surprise you, the cartoons you draw that get the reaction? And what are some of the topics you write about that you're surprised by the outsized reaction? Well, you know, Michael, I'm not that uh, surprised, actually, frankly. You know, because it's funny, because people uh, laud Trump because he's been, you know, uh, not politically correct sure. and bold and aggressive. I've been doing that my entire career. <laughs> and people are emotionally wedded to their politics, which is the way it ought to be. If I don't get a death threat, if somebody doesn't call me a name, then I haven't done my job. 
you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm used to it, especially at the L.A. Times. I, you know, I'd, I'd have to wear a helmet and a Kevlar vest just to walk through the newsroom. So uh, it's been a much better home at Investors Business Daily and uh, because we're all uh, like-minded, right-minded uh, people. But, you know, you know, Michael, people are emotionally invested in their politics, and that's the way it ought to be. People ought to be passionate about the things they believe in. You know, I, I remember once I was uh, at the Memphis Commercial Appeal, and I was working late one night, and... Uh, and the alarms went off, and of course I did what I normally did do, which is just ignore them. And a security guard finally came up and grabbed me and dragged me out of the building. And as I got out into the parking lot, I, I, I walked out to a standing ovation. And what had happened was somebody had called in a bomb scare because of one of my cartoons. And, uh, you know, these are the things that happen because politics is very, very emotional. And that's the way it ought to be, frankly. Uh, what is uh, a topic that you particularly like making cartoons about because you think it led, lends itself to it. For example, public policy versus political campaigning, political debating. Is, does, does one lend itself more to cartooning than the other? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in, in, in public policy because I, I'm a big believer in the, in the idiom that uh, you know, this is a self-governing democratic republic and the power lies with the people, not with the government. And I, I think we've sort of made that transition from a nation of achievement to a nation of entitlement. And, you know, once you get over that, that 50% threshold, you have 47% of the people that don't pay federal taxes at all. And one in six Americans that are using some sort of government assistance. Um, look at the labor participation rate, which is the lowest in 30 years. You have people that are, are making more and being gainfully unemployed and, and on entitlement systems than people that are actually employed uh, because they can only get part-time jobs. This is all, to me... A result of big government, you know, a, a big government culture where people think that government is the solution. We need to get away from that. What Ronald Reagan said was exactly right. But the power of America, what makes it extraordinary, what makes this, you know, this shining city on the hill is the individual, the power of the individual and the innovation and production that comes out of that, that single person. You know, he produces some imaginative product, and that creates jobs, and those jobs trickle down to the people that need it. I mean, nobody's against taking away the safety net, but you don't want to build such a cushion where people are relying on these entitlements rather than achievement. I think achievement is what sets America apart. Throughout your career, the person who was the easiest to draw and the person who was the most difficult. Well, you know, the, the, easiest, the, the easiest one to draw, I guess it would be because uh, I disagree with him so often, is this tyrannical imperialist president that we have today, uh, Barack Obama. You know, he's drawn with his eyes closed because he's kind of looking down at his, his nose at everybody. The hardest person to draw was, was probably Dan Quayle because he just was featureless, you know. <laughs> um, but you know what? Uh, all these guys... You know, that's the beauty of being a political cartoonist. You don't have to be a great artist. Exactly. You always label whatever you need to label. Uh, in fact, I, I was drawing John Kasich today, and, and uh, I think I'm going to have to put a big label on him. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and your favorite cartoon of all time? You know, I think my favorite cartoon, just as far as process goes and the power of the medium, I did one on, called The Moral Fabric, and it was basically an American flag that was unra physically unraveling. And I think those are the most powerful political cartoons, ones where you see it in its context, the message is very concise and immediate. And when you think about it, political cartoons are like you know, Super Bowl ads. You get five seconds to capture the viewer's attention, five seconds to deliver you know, either selling the product, in this case selling an idea. 
those cartoons are, are the best ones. And, and I'm a big believer in political cartooning as serious journalism. The message is the most important element within, a, within the uh, political cartoon. I mean, you can embellish it with great drawing. Uh, a sense of humor, I think, helps reach a larger audience with your message. But it is the message that's the most important thing. It's the most important element within a cartoon. Otherwise, you know, you're just doing humorous anecdotes for The Tonight Show, and that's not my job. Well, you said you didn't do your job unless somebody threatened you and called you a name. So you jerk. I'm going to take you outside and beat you up, Michael Ramirez. You know, Michael, you have to get in line because there are already 40 other people ahead of you in line. Thanks so much for joining us for this special Weekly Standard podcast from CPAC 2016.